0: We are wrapping up our study of the Lamb throughout Scripture. Uh, we've gone quite a long way. I can't remember how long we've been doing this series, but it's been a while. Uh, you could turn me down, Keith. Hey, Keith. He's distracted by an elder. Turn me down just a smidge. Uh, as we've as we've gone through this series, of course, the overwhelming picture of the Lamb in the Bible is a weak figure, destined for death, right, from the very beginning. Of course, uh, uh, Cain and Abel, uh, Abel is not said to have offered a lamb, but of, of the first fruits, this, this animal sacrifice. Uh, Abraham and Isaac, they're going up the mountain, and, and Isaac is thinking about where's the lamb. Well, he's thinking about that, why? Because they killed lambs. Lambs were going to die, right? Of course, he was going to be the one to be sacrificed. There, again, we've said this, there's no outcome where he dies in the story, but that's how he's thinking about it. Uh, in the Passover, right? Taking this, this creature and killing them and putting the blood on the doorpost and then henceforth and forevermore, twice a day. And then also on top of that, a lot of other times, Israel was offering these lambs destined to die. And Isaiah 53 emphasizes that, the, the prophecy about Jesus. Like a lamb before its shears is silent, he was led to slaughter and opened not his mouth. From the beginning... The lamb represents death, sacrifice, and the avoidance of wrath. I said a bunch of this stuff already. Matthew 11:29 29-30, this picture we see of Jesus in the Gospels then, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. These verses are, I think, emblematic of a lamb, right? Gentle and lowly. If there's a more lowly creature than a lamb, I'm not sure what it is. Innocent and pure and helpless and needing of guidance. Now, Jesus, of course, is not saying that he needs guidance, but the reversal of this, the guidance that he offers, is like a lamb needs, like we as sheep need. This image of a silent, suffering lamb is not the one that God leaves with his people. As the Bible continues, right? They keep writing letters in the New Testament. The Gospels are written. Then all these letters in the New Testament. We come to the very end. The last book to be written, the book of Revelation. This is not the picture of the Lamb that we are left with. Revelation 1, 15 and 17. John is shown this vision from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on earth. And then later on in verse 17, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. John sees a vision of Jesus and passes out because of the greatness of the vision. Chapter four, verse five, from the throne, as John is transported in the spirit to the throne room of God. In the throne came uh, flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire. And then he describes these four living creatures. These majestic, supernatural, four-faced creatures And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, to the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever, they cast their crowns before the throne. These awesome creatures worship. The elders worship. They cast their crowns. That is, they submit themselves to the throne. And so we come to Revelation chapter 5. John's seen all of this stuff and verse uh, chapter 1 uh, chapter 5 verse 1 then i saw on the right hand, hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back sealed with seven seals and i saw a mighty angel not just a regular angel a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals the implication is the angel's not worthy none of the elders are worthy these four living creatures that offer worship day and night they're not worthy And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began, John, began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. He wants to know desperately what is in this. What's a scroll? A scroll is a communication. It's a message, right? Who is worthy to open the communication from God? No one that was found. And so John begins to weep. One of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. What does that mean? A lamb standing as though it had been slain. I don't know. Is it covered with blood? Does it have a gaping wound in it? Is it like head half off? I don't know how they were. They killed lambs, right? But... Obviously, John sees the lamb and recognizes that this lamb has died, has been slain. With seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him. Now, we're mixing, again, mixing metaphors. That's not the right phrase. We have to remember this is a vision of John, right? The, the vision that he's seeing. If we're, if we're breaking this down in a real ultra-literal way, how is the lamb taking the scroll? He's taking it in his teeth? Like, does the lamb have fingers? Like, how is that working? Obviously, this is a vision, right? This is not intended to be uh, ultra-literal. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the uh, four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The lamb takes the scroll, and we're given this interesting insight into the offering of the prayers, the prayers of the saints given before the throne of God. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed the people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne, And the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering in the myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. So many angels. I don't know how many there are. It's too much to count. That's why he uses myriad. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. All these things. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. This is not sort of the innocent, helpless creature that we see throughout the Old Testament. Innocent, helpless creature that we see throughout the Passover and the sacrifices, and we see a prophecy of Isaiah, right, that he's sort of this, just led silently to the slaughter. Here we see what? The Lamb who receives worship, not just from some places, but worship from everywhere. The four living creatures, the angels, thousands and thousands, and then every creature, all the creatures, in heaven and earth and under the earth. The Lamb All saying, all of these creatures are saying what? Worthy is the Lamb. They say it over and over and over and over. Now, again, it's hard for us to put ourselves in this. We're going to sing this song in a minute. But here's what I want you to envision when we sing this song. When we sing it, I don't know if they're singing it up there right now, but I imagine they are. The four living creatures, the angels, hosts of angels, myriad angels. John is shown a vision of creatures that never cease. Day and night, they sing the song. When we sing it, we're not singing it by ourselves. Hebrews 12, 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering. What is festal gathering? That's rejoicing and celebration, a feast, right? That's a celebration that's going on, festal gathering. What are they, what are they celebrating? They're celebrating the Lamb, the one who is slain, the one who is worthy to open the scroll to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, the blood of the lamb, that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. John is shown a vision of a lamb standing as though slain, because that blood is the power, right? The lamb is not whole. The lamb was killed. The lamb shed his blood. And so we're going to sing this song. I want you to imagine, envision, if you will, as we are singing this, probably all around us and in heaven, they're singing this song with us. Earthy is the lamb who was slain,
1: slain. Oh, we don't...
0: it's, I don't know, we're stuck with this here on earth. You guys are great singers, I'm not disparaging you. I imagine we don't sound like a host of angels. And yet, I also believe that God hears it like we are, doesn't he? If we are intending that, if we're meaning it, if we have it in our hearts that this is how we're envisioning the Lamb who is slain, it doesn't really matter what our voices sound like. He hears us like the innumerable assembly. The festival of angels that are worshiping with us. What makes him worthy of worship? Well, we see a couple of things. He was slain and ransomed for the people of God. That makes him worthy of worship. He's made us priests. Here we are. you thought of yourself as a priest? Don and Chuck administering the Lord's Supper to us as priests. We when we are thinking about sharing the gospel with others, serving as priests, intercessors, when we're encouraging our family to stay faithful, we're serving as priests. Why is that? Because he made us priests. He created all things. We see this in Revelation referenced at the beginning. We see it a couple of places, Revelation 4.11, which we didn't read. Of course, evoking John 1 as well. In the beginning was the word, right? He's eternal. That was again in 4.8. We didn't read those verses, but 4.8 talks about who was and is and is to come. In one seventeen, he says that as well. If you take nothing else from this sermon, I want you to hold on to the image of the Lamb as one worthy of eternal worship and glory. That's what John sees. He sees... The lamb is though slain. And it's interesting. He sees a different picture of Jesus at the beginning. The the sort of the mighty warrior figure uh, in Revelation chapter 1. He sees that mighty warrior figure and he falls down as though dead. Again, he passes out, sort of faints, passes out. He's called the conqueror, the lion of Judah. All of these names that he has. And yet when he opens the scroll, John sees a lamb. The image of sacrifice. The image of death on our behalf. That's what makes him worthy. What does this allow him to do? Well, in the context of Revelation, it allows him to open the seals on the scroll. He's allowed to look into the scroll. What does that mean? Revelation 6, verse 12. He opened the sixth seal. We're skipping way ahead here. I looked and behold, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth. The uh, The full moon became like blood. The stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig tree sheds its winter fruit. When shaken by a gale, the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful, everyone slaves and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks. And here's the key. Fall on us and hide from us from, uh, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? What does this worthiness give him the right to do? It gives him the right to bring wrath. To bring judgment. That's what the scrolls are, right? The seals on the scroll. They're judgments on the earth. Revelation emphasizes this repeatedly. The Lamb brings and will bring judgment. By the blood of the Lamb, we conquer our accuser. That's a matter of judgment, right? We have our conqueror, or we have our accuser, sort of the trial, the throne room scene, right? The accuser, one who's accusing us of all the wrongdoing. What allows us to conquer him? The blood of the lamb. We overcome those who would accuse us of wrongdoing. The judgment of the lamb is thus. These are washed in the blood of the lamb. You see that in chapter 12. In chapter 14, those who follow the lamb, they're blameless. They cannot be judged. They cannot have wrath. They are blameless, not because of their own goodness, but because of the Lamb, right? This idea of the sacrifice of the Lamb. Those who are condemned to suffer, they do so in the presence of the Lamb. In chapter 14, there's a vision of uh, destruction and judgment and torment, and they are suffering, those who are in torment, in the presence of the Lamb. That's 14, 9 through 11. (laughs) The Lamb will conquer the enemies of God and his people. We see that in chapter 17, verses 11 through 14. That he's going to conquer those who are enemies of God. And in chapter 21, we see that the Lamb possesses and owns the book of life. It is called the Lamb's book of life. This is judgment. This is him determining who will face torment and who will. We'll get the the not torment. We'll talk about what that is in a minute, right? The promise of those who are not going to receive torment, those who are blameless, those who have conquered, those who have been washed in his blood, in the midst of this wrath and judgment, which again, over and over and over, the Lamb who in Isaiah 53, right, like a sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth, sled to the slaughter. That was a one-time deal. That was that's not happening again. Here, he's not silent. He's pronouncing judgment after judgment after judgment. Destruction and punishment. The wrath of the Lamb. In the midst of this, there is the opposite. The promise of peace and restoration for those who are washed in the blood. Again, going all the way back to the Passover, right? Even we could go even further back in the Passover, going back to Abraham and Isaac. This is the thing that's coming. This is what the Lamb will bring. Unless what? Well, with Abraham and Isaac. Isaac was going to die. Abraham was going to do it. Until what? God provided. In the Passover, the angel of death, that was happening one way or the other. The angel was going to come. And they either accepted the blood of the Lamb or they didn't. And if they did not do what was required by God in the sacrifice of the lamb and the blood, and the, not just that, but the eating of the white way and the unleavened bread and all the different way they were dressed, like all the things that go into that, death was coming. And they could only avoid it by submitting to what God had said. Those Old Testament stories, again, the shadow of the true reality, as Hebrews would say, the true reality is this. This is the true reality. Death and judgment and wrath are coming. And their question in Revelation 6, who can stand? Only those who have been saved by the Lamb. Only those who have been washed in His blood. So there is a promise of peace and restoration, the opposite of this wrath and destruction. Revelation 7, verse 13 One of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. You can see the reversal here, right? Usually it's a a lamb that needs a shepherd. You can see this sort of imagery throughout the, the New Testament, this shepherd language. The lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's repeated in 22 verse 1. The angel showed me the river and the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne, and of the Lamb through the, uh, throwing through the throne of God, rather, and of the Lamb, this is their throne, through the middle of the street of the city, this river of life. And on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were there for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him, they will see his face, face and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and there they will reign forever and ever. The Lamb slain for the sins of the world. Ooh, and we went all the way to the end there. Extends an invitation, doesn't he? There's an invitation in these verses. And really, it's not just an invitation that is in Revelation. It's one that we've already referenced. What did he say? Take my yoke, I am gentle and lowly. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. That's the invitation, right? You will find rest for your souls. What does that rest look like? It looks like what we just read. No pain, no sorrow, no suffering, no tears. We don't even need lights. He just is there. He is the light. The tree of life. Life everlasting. The invitation of the Lamb. We'll read it again. In 713. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? From where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Again, a lot of interesting imagery here. You know, blood is red, right? And yet, this blood. It purifies, it cleanses, it makes their robes white. Of course, we know this isn't literal. Again, what is this? Their sins have been washed away. Their impurities, their... If we're using the language of lamb sacrifices, what's been washed away are blemishes. Isn't that what these lambs needed to have all throughout the Bible? A lamb without blemish, without spot, can't have any broken legs, can't have any weird... Hair, can't have any uh, diseases, can't have any imperfections. The lamb has to be perfect. Jesus comes, he is perfect. No sin whatsoever. And then his promise is to what? To make us perfect. To remove all the impurities that we have. Not that we didn't sin, but in the eyes of judgment, they are gone. The accuser. Is going to stand in judgment and say, What? Well, Chris, he was a horrible person. He did all these horrible things. And hopefully, the lamb's going to look at me and say, I don't see that. All I see is my blood. That's what I want to hear, isn't it? That's the invitation and the promise, accompanied by warning. Because judgment is coming. The wrath of the lamb who is slain. As we offer the invitation, if we accept His offer of peace everlasting, if we will be washed in His blood, we looked at it this morning, right? And I don't know if anybody here has not done this, but on the off chance, I'll I'll offer it anyway. We read it this morning, right? Those who believe, who confess, who repent, who are immersed. But we might say it this way too. If you're in the room today, and you have been saved, that's great, but maybe you've wandered away. You've left the fold of the sheep. You've left the guidance of the shepherd. You've left his authority. The offer still stands, doesn't it? To come back and have that purity again. Come while we stand and sing.